Good morning, everyone. Great to see you again. My name is Don. Uh, Pastor Allen is somewhere, and so I'm here. And uh, it's always a joy to be here. I'm so excited anytime you get to share at Mountain Park and to, to see some of you again and just love what the Lord is doing in you and through you and with you and just to spend some time today. So you don't have to be that excited about it, but that's it's okay. <laughs> so uh, every time my grandkids all come over and get together, there's six of them, <clears throat> it's either a party or a war. And sometimes a little bit of both. The other day, I was listening to him playing and scuffling, and one of them said, you're not the boss. I thought, this is probably a pretty good time for an intervention. So I went upstairs to find out what was going on, and then one of the younger ones was upset with one of the older ones. You're not the boss. I said, listen, you guys better straighten up. Grandma's coming in here and she is the boss. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how you would answer the question, who is your boss? Who's the boss? Now, I know we're in church, so I kind of expect I know what the answer might be, at least if we had it. Like a little microphone. But before you just jump to conclusions with that, um, think about it a little bit. Who's your boss? Jesus deals with this many times in his teachings, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest, I guess, sermons ever. He really starts to hit home about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and what it means to, to deal with this issue of who, who really is your boss. So in your Bibles, the sixth chapter of Matthew, if you have them, you can turn them on or we'll, follow along on the screen, but that sixth chapter is an interesting chapter. He, Jesus deals with um, giving, and then he deals with prayer, and there's the Lord's Prayer in there, and then he deals with this thing called money. And it's like, whoa, where's this coming from? And if you know anything about Jesus' teachings, he spends a, a good amount of time dealing with money. In fact, he talks about money more than he talks about heaven or hell. He talks about money more than he, than he does marriage or family or sex or any of the hot issues that are going on in our, in our world today, all combined. You go, Jesus, are you like obsessed with money or something? Why, why are you talking about it so much? And the answer is no, he's not obsessed with money. But we are. And we, we've always been, humanity has always been. And he knows this is an issue. And he, he takes this, which is a simple little thing called money, and he helps correlate it to help answer the question, really, who is your boss? So follow along if you'd like. In the 19th verse of chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then kind of here's the bottom line. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. Where your, where your money is, there your heart will be, your affection will be, your life will be, your worship will be, your serving will be, where your treasure is. Isn't that interesting? It's like he's saying, you have one life, you have one precious heart, don't, don't throw it all away on stuff that doesn't matter, things that will fade or fail or will forget about. All these things that five years from now you're going to put in a garage sale anyway. Why invest in all that? Instead, invest in things that go forever, that have lasting impact, that have eternal impact, that, that is about God's agenda and not just your own agenda. God's kingdom and not just yours. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he drops this bomb. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He's unapologetic when he deals with money. Boom, here it is. And just in case today you're thinking, well, that might be good for somebody, but it's not me. He, there's no exceptions. No one can serve two masters. You think you might be doing pretty good with that? Jesus, no one, no one can serve two masters. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? I'm just reading you some scripture. There's a little, a little prayer. Maybe, maybe it would be a good like, mantra for you. Um, it, it really helps me as I deal with this whole subject. And it helps me as I, I deal with anxiety when it comes to, to money and to life and all that kind of thing. It's pretty simple. It goes like this. God is the boss of me. And I am the boss of my money. God is the boss of me. Therefore, I can be the boss of my money. So, you got that down? I'd like you to repeat that after me, if you would. You ready? God is the boss of me. You did better with come on down than, than God is the boss. Let's try it one more time. God is the boss. I'll do it first and you repeat. How about that? God is the boss of me. Very good. And I am the boss of my money. I want you to, at the end of this time together, I hope that you'll understand this a little bit more and maybe be a little more resolved to actually make this a prayer or make this a portion of your life. Maybe put your life under the, the, the umbrella of this great truth that God is the boss of me, therefore I'm the boss of my money. No one can serve two masters. I, I call your attention to this, the very last sentence in that 24th verse. You cannot serve both God and money. God's my boss. He's the boss of me. And you can't serve both God and money. Now in my version, the NIV version, that word money, and maybe in your version as well, or whatever you read, is capitalized. Money, the big M. So it tells me there's something there more than just money. I mean, it's big enough just to read that and go, whoa, yeah, that's, I understand that. 
But it, it capitalizes money for a reason. That there's something else there. There's something behind that. And when you do a little research, or if you, if you read an older version of the Bible, or if you read some of the original languages, that word that is used, even in the King James Version, will say, God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. M-A-M-M-O-N. Mammon. Do you know why they changed the, the translation from mammon to money? Because nobody knows what mammon is. <laughs> what in the world is that? Can't serve God and mammon. Okay, see ya. Know what that is, mammon. Mammon is a very important concept, though. It takes it a little bit deeper than just money. Money's neutral. Money's just money. But mammon is something different. It's an old Aramaic term that connects back to a Syrian god, a false god that was the god of riches. That's where that word mammon comes from. So that you would you'd worship him and you would chase after him and you'd be devoted to him because he was a god of riches, of possessions, of wealth. And it even harkens back a little further to this place called Babylon. Babylon today is around Iran, Iraq, and that area. Back in those days, originally it was called Mesopotamia, and uh, they decided to change the name because no one could pronounce that. So, <laughs> no, that's not true. In Mesopotamia, after the flood, remember Noah and the ark and all that? The, the rainbow... The, the earth started to repopulate itself, and people decided, you know, we kind of got things going back again. Everything's great. Our economy is starting to go. Wealth is starting to come in. Riches is starting to come in. We don't, we don't really need God. In fact, I think we could probably build a structure that could reach into heaven, and we could just, we could just climb to the top and get to heaven. That'd be a lot easier than having it deal with this God thing. And so they started to build and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. At this time, there was one language in the whole world. God saw what was going on and said, I'm gonna have to teach these guys a lesson. They think they got it all together and poof, he started, he gave each one a, a different language so they couldn't understand one another. <laughs> and all of a sudden, no one knew what to do. No one put what beam there and what brick there. And, and it was a half-built tower didn't end well for those guys. That tower was called the Tower of Babel, or Babel. Babel. Babel means confusion. So it was a state of confusion. Babylon was a state of confusion. Talk and talk, talk, nobody understands. Do you ever have any friends like that? They babble. They talk, 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 talk. State of confusion. They Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. And then that's, they're, they're Babylonians. That's the case. Actually, Babylonia has, has become the area in the Bible that, that always harkens back to this idea. You don't really need God if you have enough riches and money. That's what the, that's what the whole Babylonian thing is about. You don't need God. You have your own strength. You have your own resources. You have your own ability. You have your own money. Why would you need God? Why would you need God? And mammon comes out of that. Mammon is this it's this false god. It's this, it's this spirit that comes upon money, if you will, and, and asks you to serve it. It's arrogant. It's prideful. It promises but doesn't deliver. It promises you the very same things that you think God should deliver, but it, 
in, in such an easier way. It promises you identity. If you, if, you can, if you can just have money, if you can just have more money, you, people will respect you, look up to you. If you just had a little bit more money, you'd have a little more security. Your retirement would be in better shape. If you had a little more money, maybe there would be this sense of significance. You could, if you, you could drive the car you want to drive and live in the house you want to live in the neighborhood that you want to with credit cards that everybody would be impressed with. You would, you'd be happier with a little more. But more needs more, needs more, needs more. And, and there's always this discontentment of I need more, I need more. And I, pro, I thought the promise was this, but I just need just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit. And you get on this cycle and go round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And before long, you're serving mammon instead of God. God's the one who gives us significance and security and happiness and peace and joy, identity. You don't need God to do it on your own, it says. And so <laughs> you look at that, and, and the amazing thing to me is we hear that, we read that. No one reads this that you might be under the control of mammon, that you might be under the control of money and thinks it's for them. We don't think it's for us. We know people who are under the control of money. We know greedy people, but not us. We're not greedy. Politicians are greedy. Wall Street people are greedy. Your neighbor down the street is greedy. Person across the room over there, don't look at them now, they're kind of greedy. But not you. You're not greedy. <laughs> I, I, I've been in the ministry about 40 years now. I, I've heard people repent, confess, ask for prayer for just about every sin you can think of. Just about everyone. I don't think, though, I've ever had anybody come in my office or want to come after church and pray and say, you know, Don, I need prayer. I am, I'm just so greedy. I'm so, so greedy. I don't think I've ever heard that. Greedy is what other people are. And Jesus says, yeah, you're blind to that because mammon has you under a spell and you're serving it. You're serving mammon. Mammon's not happy until you are serving mammon. Money. Then he says also in the first phrase, the first sentence of that, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Now, masters is a, is a word that um, in that culture came, comes out of the culture of slavery. In Greek and Roman culture, slavery was a very big deal. And in, in that culture, they stood there and they, they understood what they were talking about. Today, we want to stay away from that. And let me just tell you, the, the Bible's not condoning slavery or people owning other people in any way, shape, or form. But it was a part of that culture. And people are looking and they understand what's being said. So today, I, I try to make it a little bit easier and just say, um, who's your boss? I'm going to say, who's your master? Who's your boss? I'm going to say, who's your owner? Who's your boss? No one can serve two bosses. And you're going, yeah, I tried to do that. But some of you do serve two bosses. Some of us have more than one job to try to make ends meet or you moonlight on the side in order to have a little more extra income come in. You know what it's like. You could do that. You can try to balance the two bosses. It's, Jesus is not even, 
Jesus could have said that. He could have said, no one can serve two employers. But he didn't. He went a little bit deeper than that. There's a little, he digs a little bit deeper. No, no one can serve two masters. A master requires everything from their servant. There's no wiggle room. There's no, there's no way out. There's, it's undivided loyalty or nothing. Masters don't want to share their servants. Masters have spent a lot of money on that servant. They don't want, I mean, they'll get, they'll get a piece of hide out of that person before they'll let them go. You don't back off. It, in, that, in that horrific culture of that, Jesus comes along and says, let me, let me just give you a little implication here. That's what mammon will do to you for one thing. It's a master. You get going down that road, you can't balance it. You'll find yourself falling off a cliff with that. But let me also tell you this. If you're going to follow, if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, Jesus would say, God is your owner. God is your master. God owns you. He created you. He bought you with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. He owns you. Actually, this is good news. Because if he's our owner, he takes care of us. He meets our needs. We can trust. He's a good owner. He's, he's the kind of owner that looks out for the best for us. But he still asks of us everything. All that we have. All that we are, our whole heart. It's interesting in the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, what sums up what it means to follow God is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in the, it's in the Old Testament all throughout it's in the New Testament. Jesus takes it. I love in, in the book of Mark, the, the uh, 12th chapter of the book of Mark, there's, a, uh, there's an instance when one of the teachers of the law hears some, some arguing going on with Jesus and he wants to catch Jesus and find Jesus and, and, and trap him. And uh, he comes unto him in verse 28 and he says, uh, of all the commandments, Jesus, what's the most important? Knowing that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And Jesus is going to give the wrong one, and they got him trapped. And, you know, he's not as smart as he thought he is and all that kind of thing. Jesus, being the genius that he is, we sometimes forget how smart Jesus is, says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear that. Hear, the, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is, is the owner. There's one and one only. One God, no other God. One, one Lord, no other Lord. He deserves everything. We, we believe that. Yes, Jesus, we believe that. Then he says, so love the Lord your God with some of your heart, part of your soul, and a little bit of your mind. No, love the Lord your God. There's one Lord. There's one God. Love him with all your heart. All your soul. All your mind. All your strength. All of it. You can't just kind of go back away. It's all in or all out. No one is exempt. We try to live our life with one foot with mammon and one foot with God. And he says it just doesn't happen. Somewhere along the line, if you're trying to do both, life will, life will beat you up. 
somewhere along the line. Even if you're not trying to do both, life will just beat you up. And what will happen? You will love one and despise the other. And if you're trying to do both, you'll, you'll despise God. God, why is this happening to me? What's going on? I'm losing my mammon. I can't. What's going on? And really what we're finding out sometimes is that we want God to come along to help us get to mammon when we're trying to do both. We know we're supposed to serve God, but we hang with mammon at the same time. And when it all falls apart, we blame God, not mammon. We blame God. If in your life you pray and you pray and you pray, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Or I need someone at least to give me some more money or I'm not going to make it. God, help me. Or I need more money. And someone or somehow you get more money and you go, I don't need God now. Then you know who's your God. If mammon covers it, then he's your God. He's your owner. He's your master. Jesus never said to anybody that was praying to him, yeah, you need more money. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Yeah, okay, here, here's, here's 10 bucks, go get some coffee. No one can serve two masters. You either hate one, love the other. You'd be devoted to one and despise the other. God is the boss of me. When it comes to this scripture, here's what I think. There's an old story that, <laughs> it's not true, but I like it. Um, it takes place in Rome at the Vatican, and the Pope is going to address his, his devoted followers. And, you know, in the Vatican Square, they gather by the hundreds and the thousands and with devotion and love and, and waiting for the, the Pope to show up and bless them and pray over them. And, and he, they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. He doesn't show up. And suddenly one of his attendants comes out and says, listen, everyone, the Pope is not feeling well. If you'll just hang on, just pray for him. And so they start praying for him. Comes back out 30 minutes later. The Pope is really not doing good. We have doctors attending to him. What we have found out is that he's, he's got some issues with his heart. Would you pray for him? Oh, and they start praying and praying and praying. About an hour later, they come out and said, here's the doctor's rendition. Um, the Pope will not live unless he gets a heart transplant. And they're still praying, and they hear that. And in the middle of the prayers, one guy goes, take my heart. I mean, I'm devoted. I love the guy. I'm, I'm committed to God's kingdom. Take my heart. Take my heart, Papa. Take my heart. person next to him sees that and goes, well, well take my heart. Pretty soon, a whole dozens of people are saying, take my heart. Take my heart, Papa. Take my heart. Before long, the whole crowd is shouting at the top of their lungs, chanting, take my heart, Papa. Take my heart. All the attendants in the back room and the cardinals gather around and can't believe the devotion that's going on. The commitment, the generosity. We need, to take a, we need to take somebody at their word on this. So he goes back out and they decide, here's what, here's what the idea is. I'm going to drop a feather from the balcony. And whoever it lands on, that person will be the candidate to give their heart to the Pope for a transplant. They explain that to the crowd. And at the right moment, they had a prayer. And then he drops the feather. And it starts to go down off the balcony. And they're shouting, Taking my heart, Papa. <laughs> Taking my heart. <laughs> oh my! Isn't that what we do with God, though? I surrender all. Take my heart, God. All my heart, all my soul, all my. 
when it comes to treasure, when it comes to money, when it comes to everything but that. Jesus says, you'll, you'll know a person's heart by where their treasure is. You'll know who their God is, who's the boss, by who the treasure is. So God is the boss of me. Therefore, I'm the boss of my money. The, the Bible word for that is I'm a steward of my money. I'm, I'm the manager of my money. Money is neutral. Uh, money always behaves. This is kind of weird for some of you who think it just kind of vanishes and disappears and floats off. It doesn't. It behaves. It will do exactly what you tell it to do. It will go where you go, where you tell it to go. It will stay where you tell it. It won't just flitter off. And God says, you can pray all you want, but you're the boss of that. You're the manager of that. You're the steward of that. God, if you're boss of me and I'm the manager of this money, it's probably pretty wise of me to ask you, how do I manage it? What's the best way to do that? And he gives biblical principles throughout scripture that helps us understand the best way to manage that money, to be the boss of it, to tell it what to go, where to go, and what to do. So if I had like three buckets, I'd put them right here. There'd be a bucket of lifestyle and spending. There'd be a bucket of saving, investing. And there'd be a bucket of, um, of giving, giving back to God. Now I was gonna bring some buckets and, and put them here, but... I was afraid I'd kick the bucket when, when I'm up here. But, <laughs> but when, uh, when you look at those buckets, you have to ask yourself, what order do you put them in? And, and what's the, well, not only the priority of them, but, but what's the percentage? Because every, every pay period, we put our, our earnings in one of those buckets. Now, if you're the average American, this is the priority. Lifestyle and spending first. Saving second. Giving back to God last. Here's the percentages. Lifestyle and spending, 130%. Giving, or excuse me, saving, 4 to 5%. Giving back to God, 2 to 4%. That's the average American. It's been that way for about 50 years now. So we, we spend and we, and we live our lifestyle first and foremost. We save a little bit. And we give leftovers to God, whatever's left. If there happens to be anything left, we'll put that to God. Or if they give an offering, they do a big offering, and my heart strings are tugged, I might give some to God or whatever. But it's, it's really leftovers. God's economy is completely different. If God's the boss and we live by God's way, he says, let's flip that. Number one is giving back to God. Number two is saving. Giving to yourself. Pay yourself. Number three is live on the rest. Live on the lifestyle. The life, let your lifestyle live on the leftovers rather than God. Whoa, upside down. But all through Bibles that way. Honor the Lord with your gifts. The Old Testament, give your first fruits. Give your first and your best to God. You're going to sacrifice? Don't give the mangy old beat up lamb. Bring the very best lamb that you would take to, to market. Bring that to sacrifice. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Make it, make it a, a, a worship act and an act of gratefulness. He owns everything, the Bible will tell you. And he asks for you to give honor to him by giving back to him first and foremost. So that when you're in church, 
Offerings aren't intermission time. It's a time for you to, to whisper prayers to the Lord, sing a song of thanksgiving. If you give online, which a lot of you probably do, and, and it's a great way to give, when you're, when you're ready to give, you know, listen to a, a worship song or read a scripture of Bible or pray or whatever, but make it, a, make it a worship. God, you gave me so much. I want to give back to you. Secondly, if you pay God, pay yourself. It's amazing how many people don't pay themselves. If you're, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, I always want to say, why, why are you paying everyone else that you don't even know or like, but you're not paying yourself? Pay yourself second. Live off what's left. Now, in the old days, my old days, I, used, I would teach 10%, 10%, 80%. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. I hope you changed that. I have. Now it's 10% giving, 15% saving, 75% living. It used to be 10 and 10. I'm getting close to 65 now, so I've upped it for savings. 15% would be better. No one ever gets to 65 and goes, and I saved too much. Wish I wouldn't have saved that much. So, <laughs> so pay yourself and, and, and recognize that, you know, 25 35, year, 25, 35 years from now, you'll look at me and go, man, I don't remember who that guy was, but he was really smart. That really helped. You'll think he's my hero if you do that kind of thing to say for yourself. You're going, okay, okay, let's look at the percentages. My goodness, what? 10% to God. Some of you, that blows you away. If you're brand new to, to Christianity and to following Jesus, you're going, woo, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out like some pagan religion or something. I don't know. 10 Ten percent. Start. Start with what you can do. Start with three percent. Go to five percent from there. Go to seven percent from there. Just the word I would give you is progress. Be progressive until you get to where God is. You'll you'll never outgive God. He'll bless it. He'll honor it. And and you will find that you can do more after, with what you have after God has has got the first part. Then put put the ten percent or the fifteen percent. If you can't do that. Right at the beginning, progress. Make progress. Start where you can and progressively go. Live off the rest. Then you live off the leftovers. You don't ask God to have the leftovers. That's the difference between God being the owner and mammon being the owner. You live off the leftovers instead of God. And he blesses that. Much of what Jesus says is good grief. You can, you, can, you can invest in things that moth is going to destroy and rust is going to rot out and thieves are going to come. Or you can, give it, you, can give, you can give an investment to the kingdom. So, how are you doing? Ready to go eat lunch? Okay, let's say this together. Say this after me. God is the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money.